You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 371, we find out about Juliet's new obsession, how would we ever survive in a world without chips? And in the week in which he would have celebrated his 60th birthday, we ask what's so great about Michael Jackson. It's all coming up after Kirsty McColl and Walking Down Madison. Apartment to a night on the A train. It's not that. 
shops in the penthouse To the rats in the basement It's not that far To the bad lady frozen asleep in the park Oh no, it's not that far Hey who, you wanna see some more? I can show you if you'd like to I remember this being played extensively on the radio when it was released as a single, but it wasn't as big a hit as I remembered. Number 23 in the UK didn't make mm. it. It didn't make it at all onto the Billboard Hot 100, but an absolutely cracking single from 1991, Kirsty McColl and Walking Down Madison. Yeah, I, I, like you say, I, I remember that as being excellent, yet surprised that it wasn't very successful commercially. But she had so many tunes that were great. I mean, it's 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 almost impossible to pick a favourite Kirsty McColl tune. It's I mean, I don't have any children, but I can imagine it would be like trying to pick a favourite child. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 371. I'm Terence Stackham, and still very youthful, but one year older since we last <laughs> met her here. It's Julie. Harris. Well, yes, but thank you very much. One could argue that, that one is, is always a year older than, than, you know, every day, aren't we, really? But anyway, hello, yes, I, I it has been my birthday. Even I have, have come to a, a state of acceptance that it is not my birthday anymore today. So, uh, so, yes, I've only dragged it out for the two days this year. Always um, remember, I used to work with a sort of older fellow at BBC, and if anyone have a, had a birthday, I don't think he meant to be kind of too doleful, but he would say, oh, one year nearer the grave. <laughs> oh, great, thanks a lot, you know. Yes, party on down, man, yeah, at the BBC, right. yeah. yeah. Jules, one of the, 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 the worst first world problems I've ever experienced certainly in terms of online activity was a couple of years ago when my computer updated itself overnight to Windows 10 and mm, in I mean so, that was that was a problem for a lot of people if I remember correctly it really was yes I've never been a big fan but in when it when it updated I lost all my access to the then popular game Candy Crush Saga um, oh no oh gosh to which over a period of about six months I'd struggled on and on and reached about level 400 or something. That's oh, quite impressive, I think. Oh, I, I really put my life into this. I'd really <laughs> uh, put my heart and soul into it. And the whole thing was irretrievably lost because of uh, Windows 10. I couldn't get it back. Um, it reminded me, actually, uh, a little bit off topic, of poor Mike Reed, the disc jockey broadcaster, when he wrote um, 100,000 words of his autobiography in 2012, only for some git to break into his car, steal his laptop, and every word was lost. He had oh, got no. it back. Oh no! But unlike me with Candy Crush, um, Mike Reed, he started all over again and eventually published his autobiography a couple of years ago. But getting back to quizzes and games, mm. I no longer play Candy Crush Saga. But you've discovered a new, rather addictive form of online quizzes. 
I have, yes, and it, it is slightly to my shame that I've had because the whole the whole enterprise, and I, I, I'm sure I'm going to get attacked from both ends for saying this, but the whole enterprise is slightly moronic. But I don't really <laughs> care because I enjoy it so much. So it's this game called HQ, which you play via an app, and the whole there's an American equivalent as well. I often get um, I wake up in the morning to find notifications um, at the for the game that was taking place in America at 3 a.m. But they have a rather more uh, a bane time over here. They have a, a lunch time game well I said lunchtime game a late lunchtime game that takes place at three o'clock and an evening one that takes place at nine o'clock usually and it is free to enter it's free to pay you just down you just download the app and I mean it is so simple like I say it's to be almost moronic in that um it is a a presenter it's presented by a presenter most of whom are extremely irritating it has to be said and they 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 come on they come on the screen you 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 get a notification telling you when the game's about to start you log in and you sort of sit and wait and then the presenter comes on screen and you have to answer 12 questions and the the, the 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 early ones really are ridiculously easy, and then gradually they build up over time. And it, the jackpot is usually a thousand pounds for the afternoon games, and sometimes eight thousand pounds at weekends. Which means if one does win, depending on how many people have entered and how many people are winning, it's un, unlikely that one would win the full jackpot. Usually, one wins sort of you know a double figure sum of money. Yeah. But still, there's something about it that is just quite compelling. I don't know what it is, and if you play for a certain amount of days in a row, you get an extra life, and there is my record so far is to get to question 10 out of 12 and uh, mm. there's been some articles written on this because it's become this sort of unusual national phenomenon and apparently there are sort of it's it's much loved of people in communal work environments apparently so like call centers and places like that mm. um often um and offices they grind to a standstill God. apparently uh, one of my colleagues popped in and played with me the other day we both had a very late lunch at work <laughs> <laughs> and we got to number eight between the two of us and the, the idea is that they're designed that um you can't really google it quickly because you're given a certain amount of seconds to answer and you have a choice of three answers you can't really google past question six we've discovered and apparently that's a deliberate design um but um it's there's been a few um there's been a few articles about it there was a big piece in the guardian at the weekend mm. about inside at hq trivia um one winner played on the toilet apparently they were told um and it's very i don't know i don't know what it is terence um the, the, but by and large the experience is more enjoyable if one mutes the chat mm. um there oh, is a yes. chat function in which lots of people chat um what can I say? When I talked about it being moronic, I think that's what I was thinking about, really. There was once a question about national service, and I very much enjoyed the individual that put in half of you, Drongos, should be doing national service. <laughs> I, I very much sympathised with that man. That was just before I found where the mute function for chat was. So, um, it's, Is it multiple it's, choice, Jules? You, you yeah, get, so you have, yeah, I've, yeah, so you, you have a choice of three answers. Right, right. So, so, um, which is, so, so, uh, I, 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 um, what can I say? In the UK, roughly, um a game starts an evening game starts with about 125,000 players and then oh. gradually mm. they get whittled down and occasionally they have a they, again there's lots of novelties and there's, there's an occasion they have something called a a savage question which basically if it finishes off about two-thirds of all of the people <laughs> in it's called a savage question so uh, so I, it's uh, yeah I'm aware that it is a ridiculous thing but there is just something about it that is just if you know something's going to happen every day and it doesn't cost you anything to enter and it 
is quite they do do interminable shout outs around question three usually and it's usually the people working in offices or call centers or people that have just done the gcses by and large so so it's, it's got an interesting mix of people that play but it seems to have become accidentally quite popular how, if so, if one was at work in the office or a shop or wherever one was, or is it school or anything, mm-hmm. how long does it take from question one till sort of question ten, eleven, twelve when you might? Get I would say out? about I would say about fifteen minutes. Oh, 15, so it's not a huge. Minutes. No, I, I mean, no, it's no like it's, and this is why this is why it's quite easy to sort mm. of do as a kind of a break thing because it's literally only about ten or fifteen minutes, um, and it's there's just something about it that is just just quite appealing, really, and also it's it's. Although the presenters present and read out the questions and sort of chat, as someone that has occasionally played it on mute, um, you can, because I've been doing something else or listening mm. to something else, they do have the, you lose perhaps a second or two where you, where the person would start reading the question, but they show the question oh. on the screen and the answers on the screen. So you can uh, essentially play it surreptitiously if you need to. Oh, so you could be in a in a meeting at work and just yes. sort of quietly uh, under your desk while uh, yes. someone's droning on. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and about... although that does, that does involve you not punching the air when you get the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical question right, for example. I both really like the idea of this HQ trivia, but also fear it at the same time. Yes. Because I've got such an addictive personality, I can imagine mm. I, I would be just become bewitched and probably fixated by it, as I have done so many things over the years, including, including Candy Crush Saga. Um, <laughs> la- I mean, la- it could be worse. It could be crack cocaine. I mean, there well, are worse things to become addicted to. This is very true. Uh, last, last winter, I had a period of not being... I was OK, but not being too well for a little while, and sometimes mm. I didn't really want to go out. And I became engulfed for about a month or so with what sounds like the dullest pursuit in the world which is online jigsaws and for for a few weeks I was getting stuck into these few hundred piece jigsaws much harder to do online by the way than in real life because it's difficult to shove all the pieces to the side and start at the edges like you would want to in Mm. real life nobody knows the struggles you have have seen (laughs) nobody understands you know what I go through with my my online persona and then (laughs) like all my fixations I stopped doing online jigsaws and have never returned to them um, I I I try and stay away from online games because of my tendency to become mm. too immersed. There's an online version of pinball that I, I've just had to stop playing <laughs> because I found honestly, Jules, I would find five hours had gone by as I try, you know trying to beat my previous mm-hmm. best score. It's ridiculous. So I'm tempted. I'm really very tempted and probably will try this HQ trivia, but I fear that it. It'll grip me. I, I, I may. Never yeah, I mean, I mean, there's. But then, and then I do this, Terence. I have several apps that I very much enjoy playing. I mean, at the moment, I've got very much into the Yahtzee app, where you can play Yahtzee, the dice rolling game, on an app with strangers around the world. And then I'll be into that for about four weeks, and then I'll delete it, and I'll go back to uh, Rock of Destruction. I can thoroughly recommend this. Um, it really is as good as it sounds. If you're going through a stressful time in your life or at work, play Rock of Destruction, which you play a giant boulder, um, and you you just basically tip this boulder through various settlements I mean there's a wild west settlement there's a sort of a one with skyscrapers and your role is basically to just knock over as much stuff as possible which is how you gain points and obviously the more points you gain the more improvements you can make to your boulder by making it bigger or more powerful <laughs> or by increasing great. the multiplier and it's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic and of course because you because you know one earns quote unquote money in these games um, I now am officially a billionaire but only in the sense that 
I have billions of pounds in Rock of Destruction, the game, rather than necessarily in real life. So, yeah, yeah. But as we've said, to, to return to a conclusion we often reach on this podcast, yes, they are a huge waste of time, but really, who are they harming? Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, I, I see us both disappearing into a sort of Alice in Wonderland type of HQ trivia rabbit hole, playing it for all eternity. And, oh. uh, Far worse ways to live your life. Well, right, you and, and and you know, as, as I've spoken previously about dealing with stress at work, you know, mm. colouring in a picture of a yogurt, um, tipping a boulder down a hill, these are all better things than actually having rows with people. So, so I feel that they are a good. Uh, and also, curiously, I now have a few friends that play HQ as well. And um, if you are sort of friends linked online, if you all play along, you can see what how they've answered questions and which ones of you are still in, and that's quite fun as well. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to be signing up to that this time. <laughs> Fries, chips, frites, call them what you like, but what would we do without them? We might have to. That's next after this, the first of two Motown tracks this week. It's Diana Ross. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. Make this world a better place if you can. Reach out and touch somebody's
wasn't ever a Diana Ross song. I know we had Diana Ross last week, so I, I, this is now the official podcast of Diana Ross, I assume. But um, I um, I wasn't that familiar with this tune, and it wasn't one of hers has ever really caught my caught my ear. But I had the pleasure of going to see Motown the Musical in uh, in the West End with my mum earlier this week. Um, at the Shaftesbury Theatre. It's on until April next year, apparently, when the, the theatre is then being uh, redeveloped or or whatever, reconstituted or whatever it is they call it. And um, it should... I mean, it's brilliant. It's it's such a good musical. It's it's um, it's very gaudy. It's the sort of the official sanitised story of Motown. But it is extremely good. And the part that isn't makes it so good is that, I mean, they don't do all the hits in full, so they manage to squeeze in 50 Motown numbers. I mean, some of them are shorter or longer than others. They are um, they are super um, and uh, and the the one thing that makes it so good is that the performers are with no exceptions at all all superb and the woman that played uh, Dinah Ross who I believe is called Nat- no, Natalie Cassanga I think her name is um, was absolutely superb and she did this song in full as her first sort of solo single and pull people up on stage to join in and it was it, she was brilliant it was it was terrific and it did make me hear this with new ears so uh, so that is Dinah Ross and reach out and touch somebody's hand I was 14 when this was released and I remember seeing the album it came from a record store so I think it was called Dinah Ross it was his first first um, foray into solo work after you know leaving the Supremes but the thing is Diana Ross I, I just fell in love with her when I was a teenager she seemed so impossibly glamorous but the thing is i always think that although this was the time of woodstock and the vietnam vietnam uh, war protests motown still felt part of that revolution with dinah ross uh, the supremes and marvin gay they all kind of kept social issues to the full mm. lyrics in their hit singles so yes and very much of the Sorry, Carol. It just didn't feel like it was like a, a a different world. In record stores, Motown used to be kept in a separate kind of category back in the, the early seventies, mm. and I think that was a mistake because I think uh, they were, you know, they were very, very much Stevie Wonder as well, of course, very much at the forefront of the revolutionary times. Yes, absolutely. Much is made of this in the musical as well, actually, which I would recommend. So they have they talk, you know, there are scenes where they talk a lot about the kind of the times and obviously Doctor. Martin Luther King and his death, and um, no, and and they do a lot about Marvin Gaye wanting to become more political, and uh, yeah, no, it very much does sort of take take that into account, and they show Stevie Wonder doing Happy Birthday at the memorial concert, and and no, it was it was a really Sounds well good. told story, yeah, no, it, and it's like I say, it's worth worth going along to. We very much enjoyed it. Mm. Um, my my mother was brought up in Ireland, and there is nowhere mm. in the world where the potato is more important. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's practically a god over there isn't it, it? it really is George in modern day Ireland yeah it's, it's arguable that the potato it's more important than the Pope um, <laughs> it's it, certainly tastier yeah it, it, yeah if you go to a, a restaurant in Ireland um, say you have steak and chips the waiter will return to your table offering you extra mashed potatoes as well no matter what the meal they'll say oh you'll be wanting extra mash with that um, in in Ireland no meal is complete without various mm. versions of potatoes being involved, including the must-have mash. Well, I think I've inherited this love of potatoes because they are my favourite food item in the world. Roast potatoes are the very ambrosia of life. Mm. But I'm also happy if, if anyone gives me sautéed potatoes, chips, potato waffles, mashed potatoes, baked potato, um um, hash browns, wedges, rosti, I don't mind. I, I, I don't care. Just give me potatoes. But 
wait, Jules, you're about to tell me I might have to be deprived of my simple, humble, fattening pleasure. <laughs> well, I'm terribly sorry to once again have to be the one to break bad news to you. But um, they, they're uh, a real downer, man. I know, I know exactly. Well, Captain Bringdown rides mm. again. Yes, to tell you, unfortunately, that there's a story that, that was broke broke in the middle of August. Um, and uh, thank you, The Guardian, for this excellent headline. The chips are down in Belgium as heat waves to hit supplier fleets. Um, as so, there are food vendors in Belgium praying for rain. The hot weather uh, threatened their their uh, supply of the of their national dish, which is fruits. Um, uh, their, their Belgium's early crop of potatoes was shrunk, um, shrunk by about a third compared by the uh, compared to with an average year. And uh, without key um, rainfall over the next few weeks, the September and October harvest could be smaller still. And also, the heat impacts not only how many potatoes we get, but how big they are and the roughness of their skins. And get this, Terence, if they are too tough, they cannot be handled by the peeling machines used oh, by chip okay. manufacturers. So it's all gone terribly wrong in Belgium, chip-wise. And brilliantly uh, being as we discussed previously just about old enough to be a millennial once again having been blamed for pretty much everything ever um you know we can't buy houses because we're spending all our money on avocados etc um it is now our fault um so you you say that you are very enthusiastic about potatoes not everybody shares your enthusiasm it would seem i mean i know it's it's almost almost impossible to think about but um apparently um millennials are being dropped for a um a drop a blame for a drop in potato sales for some reason spuds have decreased a decrease story in sales by 5.4 percent since 2015 and according according to the folks that, and i did you know things you learn i did not realize that the agricultural community had an official website slash journal but it does it's called the grocer and according to the folks at the grocer um basically it's the fault of everybody aged between 18 and 34 once again um and it says that this is quite a well-written article in the metro the researchers jabbed at the millennial generation saying that they opted for healthy convenient and exotic foods over stodgy carbohydrates they added that the old potato takes longer to cook and you know those fussy impatient millennials struggle to wait that long for a meal but apparently um the again another organization of which i was unaware until very recently <laughs> the agriculture and horticulture development board the adhb um they're not going to admit it they've started a campaign you might have seen this online potatoes more than a bit on the side um to promote the starchy veggie to consumers and particularly at me i always see this on facebook and i you know once again assumed that they were just for everyone on facebook it's aimed at women between 25 and 44 so it turns out i am the target audience for potato marketing which again it was something that i did not know um you say that you know potatoes are full of stodgy goodness they are but apparently they are low in saturated fats and sugars and they're a rich source of vitamin c vitamin b6 and fiber so this has been a party political broadcast (laughs) on the part of the potato uh, potato party in the meantime um as one uh, potatoes uh, fortunes waxes if you pardon the pun Uh, so uh, or rather wanes someone else's fortunes waxes Uh, sales of rice have risen by 30 percent in the last four years and flavored noodles have surged so uh, I, I agree with you that I would be very sad to see the demise of the potato. I grew up, I had a very carb-heavy childhood looking back mm. on it. We had potatoes four or five nights a week. Probably more, we probably had potatoes six nights a week when I was very small mm. until my mum discovered pasta, at which point we had pasta four nights a week and <laughs> potatoes three nights a week. So this is why I've always had so much energy because I basically have just eaten carbs for about 30 years. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I'm troubled by, by my people, my millennial people rejecting the potato because we'll miss them when 
when they're gone. Well, I think scientists then, from from what you're saying, I think scientists would better hurry up and find artificial means of developing potato-y forms of food. Mm. I don't really mind if if these scientists can make an artificial version, so long as it looks and tastes the same as real potatoes. I will, though, join in the riots. You've mentioned my other two favourite food stuff. I'll join in the riots on the streets if any of my main three food basics are ever rationed, because as well as being essentially unable to face life without potatoes um, if ever there was a, a drought of pasta and rice then I'd just have to give up on life because I'd give up on food certainly yeah, yeah. Uh, well yeah which would indeed yes, end up it, me giving up on life as a well I was going to say that's yeah that's that's a bit of a, a, tri- a, tri- <laughs> a tributary of that yeah. isn't it really I mean although rice and pasta come second and third in the table of food passions I, I have potatoes at the top of the Premiership League of Food, of course. Well, but... well, maybe my maybe my crazy millennial friends will come to their senses and realise how great the potatoes are. Well, what can I say? If, they, if fa- there's targeted Facebook advertising, then what can go wrong? In the week, he would have reached his 60th. Mm-hmm. We ask, what's so great about Michael Jackson? Uh, that's next after Michael Jackson with the Jackson Five. In the, the late 60s, way before 
the internet and uh, really any 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 modern um, technology um, all we had for pop music on TV was a 30 minute show once a week top of the pops mm. and um, it was okay at what it did but by its very definition only played songs that were already chart successes then there were series of shows that were middle-aged and dull very very dull like the Valdunican show mm where the host would nearly always duet with Nana Mascuri, all very <laughs> safe and boring. One of these shows, uh, these light entertainment shows, was the Andy Williams show. Mm. I can't even describe, really, the shock and awe when out of the blue in 1969, up popped this amazing group with a 10-year-old singer. Uh, they performed the song we just heard on the Andy Williams show, and the next day at school... Everyone really did just want to talk about it. The conversation was essentially, you know, wow, did you see that? From 1969, number two in the UK Top 40, uh, number one on the Billboard Hot 100, Michael Jackson on lead vocals with the Jackson 5, I Want You Back. That's amazing, isn't it? And again, that was a highlight of the Motown musical. It was it was mm. funny. I was laughing with my mum afterwards because, of course, there'd been a lot of... Um, there was a lot of... Um, there'd been an awful lot of um, sort of uh, political bits and I very much enjoyed um, the World of Confusion. They did that and there was lots of kind of, um, you know, Marvin Gaye doing what's going on and of the political moments which everyone seemed to enjoy very much at this matinee performance which was pretty much sold out from what I could see which considering that musical has been going two years is not bad going really and uh, but the biggest audience reaction came when the Jackson the Jackson 5 shuffled on and uh, I very much enjoyed by the way the casting the, the small boy that played Michael Jackson as a youngster also had to play little Stevie Wonder earlier on mm. so uh, so yeah there was a bit of bit of dual rolling going on I think Marvin Gaye might have been in the four tops at one point as well but Yes, it was it was it was excellent. But no, it, it just goes to show that for all of you know, those of us intellectuals in the audience that involved the, that enjoyed the the involved political messages of the sixties, um, really everyone just wanted to hear "I Want You Back" by the Jackson Vibe, and it is a wonderful that tune in itself is just wonderful. Whenever I play it out when I'm DJing, it's always a shot of joy that kind of in, injects in, injects just fun into a room. Everyone reacts to it. Well, now of course I want you back. Set Michael Jackson off on a whirlwind of success first with the Jackson Five, his brothers and then even more dramatically and astronomically as a solo artist still hugely successful until he died aged only 50 in 2009 mm, mm. but now Jules looking back was Michael Jackson the king of pop or do the issues around his life away from the stage and the recording studio all unproven of course do they cloud the memory of him as a performer <laughs> That is that is an almost impossible question, which I've got to answer because otherwise it's not very much of a podcast, is it? Um, he is un undoubtedly one of the one of the most successful performers ever, uh, one of the most successful artists ever. I mean, he, he, it's almost it was like a sort of a high court judge moment, isn't it? Who is Gazza? If you didn't know who Michael Jackson was, you know, were you living under a rock? He was so so famous and so well known and so loved as a performer. Um, but I I wonder if towards the end of his life there was people were still interested in because there was this kind of car crash element to him there was this kind of grim rubbernecking where it was obvious that think a number of things you know i know they were unproven but even aside from those things it was num it was tr clear that that uh, many aspects of his life were very odd and that perhaps things had rather gone wrong a bit and and he was living in a very sort of strange world i think really and i think i think it's, I don't want to speculate on any of the allegations, but I think it was it was perhaps obvious that he had 
you know, when you start off very young in, a, in an industry like the music industry, you have to have people with you who are going to look after your in, your personal interests as well as everyone else's commercial interests. And I think this is often a common problem with family performers. If the people who are meant to always protect you in life, your parents and your family, if you are also their meal ticket, those two interests don't always necessarily sit together very easily, do they? They often clash. So I I wonder if I, I worry that Michael Jackson had few people in his life to protect him, really, and hence why he kind of lived this slightly odd stunted development sort of sort of uh, sort of adulthood really the the, the monkey and the, the theme park and and in a way he his you know by the time of his death he'd sort of come across as you know this is joke he was this joke he was wacko jacko wasn't he in the tabloids mm. over here and he was this kind of joke figure for ages yet when he died i think everyone suddenly sort of came not that it came to their senses but realized sort of what they'd lost really and also my mum said and i hadn't seen it until fairly recently um the film that was made about what was to be his last kind of set of well it, it maybe if it wasn't but it certainly turned out to be didn't it his last set of shows um that he was meant to be doing over here in london which were oh, again obviously overbooked far beyond what he was capable of doing and and again the cash cow that was michael jackson for many but my mum said i'll watch this is it the film because it's really worth watching and my friend rather crudely referred to it as that was that, but um, I decided I'd watch, I'd watch <laughs> this, is it? And the one impression that, that that one gets of Michael Jackson throughout this film is that he was just an astonishingly nice man to work mm. for and to work with who was who was obviously a perfectionist, but was never anything. And I know that it's, it's all done in front of cameras, but just seemed to be an incredibly nice, respectful, polite man to work for who would make, make people do things over and over again. But they would do them because he was so nice about it and so kind of committed and, and, and just so earnest, really. And I, and I am... I am sorry that Michael Jackson had such an odd life. I think he was a victim of it as much as perhaps other people were a victim of his life. Not that I'm necessarily justifying anything that did or didn't happen. But, you know, I it's hard to separate the two. And often I, when he was still alive, I used to say to my mum, I wonder what the hell happened to that eight year old little boy that bounced around sang, singing Rocking Robin, because it was it was obvious that he wasn't that he went some although we've talked about um the slight monster is quincy jones on this podcast previously mm-hmm. i've heard sort of rumors of him working with quincy jones in the studio and people coming in once and michael jackson as a young youngster sort of sat under the mixing desk twitching because quincy jones is so difficult to work with so um so yeah i don't think michael jackson's always had the easiest of times but i hope that it is possible to recognize that to recognize the fact that he might not have done things that were very great and to recognize the fact that he was astonishingly talented i think all three of those things can can sit together however easily they sit together i don't know but i think they can i i had struck lucky in 2009 and had tickets for his oh, yes you did i remember that now, yeah do you remember at the london's o2 but um looking at how he was struggling rather mm-hmm. when we see that footage of the this is it rehearsals uh, for the london shows it's it's, it's like, you've mentioned it it's hard to imagine that he would have managed that entire 50 day run it's a crazy yeah. idea in retrospect well it um, wasn't it wasn't it was originally only meant to be about 10 10, 10 or 12 wasn't right. it yeah and then suddenly uh, that's how i got the tickets because there were i think the 10 or 12 you say sold out in like the blink of an eye and i thought oh blow it you know i've missed it and then suddenly there were another 40 added and i managed to get t- tickets for those extra dates but as we know he died three weeks before the concerts mm. were due to start um there'll always be some question marks about michael jackson's life but 
purely in terms of music, he has to be right at the top. He's a masterful singer and songwriter. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. It's impossible, really, to start listing all the hits. You, you know, you, one would say, Rock With You, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, Beat It, Thriller, Billie Jean. But if you try and list them all, mm. you just run out of space and run out of breath. So it's hard to argue with his own definition of himself as the king of pop. But I think... Um, one of the key points to it all and where perhaps it all did fall to ashes in the end was how would any of us cope catapulted into that sort of worldwide fame at 10 years old? Mm, mm. That to me, I think, is is the key um, to, to, to the rest of his life, really. Yeah, his, I, his, yeah, I don't experience. disagree. I think I think you'd have to be astonishingly well-adjusted mm. and have people that were looking after your interest well, and I'm not sure that he had either of that, really. Now, Jules, when you're not playing HQ Trivia this week, <laughs> where might we find you? Well, you can find me on the radio this week on Wednesday evening at Barricade Radio from 8 to 10pm at barricaderadio.com doing indie, alt-rock and miscellaneous. Excellent. Um, thanks to you for listening. Mm, yes, all, as always, thank yeah. you. Thanks to executive producers uh, Rona and Hilly. As always, yep. Um, to play us out now, Jules, to Iceland and a rather spellbinding track. Yes, I really rather like this. I heard this on the radio the other day um, on Six Music and just instantly fell in love with it. Um, I, this is going to involve me doing terrible Icelandic pronunciation, for which I am preemptively really sorry. But um, it turns out this chap, um, his claim to fame is that he did the theme tune for Broadchurch, oh, the okay. drama on ITV, which once you know that, you then think, oh, yeah, I can understand that now. But I just really like this. I think it's very warm. I like, um, it's also very reflective of my kind of musical interest at present in that it's very similar to sort of modern composers like Steve Reich and uh, Philip Glass and Anna Meredith and people that use this kind of sort of repetitive repetitive rhythms in there and repetitive melodies. Um, and on Penguin Cafe Orchestra, it slightly reminds me of as well, who I've had a bit of a craze on recently. So um, I like this. It's by, the chap is called Olafur Arnolds and or Arnold's and the track is called Eki spelt um, E-double-K-I Hugsa spelt H-U-G-S-A
You have been listening to a DAC Media Production.